Welcome, everybody. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Despite some of you might have a hangover after yesterday, I know some of our sports teams <laughs> didn't do as well as we hoped that they would do. Um, but it's just one game, and the sun rose this morning, as it will do tomorrow. But, you know, for those of you who are watching online, uh, joining us for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And what we're doing is we're going over our vision and core values. And part of it is we want us to all be on the same page, to understand where we're going, what we're about, and, and so we could do this together. I know that before, um, a lot of times when we had our core values and vision statement, if you'd ask people what it meant, we would just give different interpretations of it. And so we just wanted to get everybody together, especially since we have a lot of newer people, so you could understand what we mean when we say this is our vision and these are our core values. And so um, I hope you're enjoying this, whether you're doing this here or you're also doing this in your life groups. You know, I've heard good things about the discussions, and, you know, this isn't easy. You know, when you take a look at what we're trying to do, this vision statement, and if you really take it apart and you really look at it and try to apply it the way that we've been, I've been communicating, it's not easy. Every aspect of this uh, vision is difficult. Our core values, living those out, are difficult. But it's our hopes that it's through the difficulty that we push forward that God will use this to help us become the church that he wants us to be. And last week we talked about community, what it means to be community. And we, we talked about that community is not always easy. It's difficult. It takes perseverance, right? And so, um, but we feel that God uses community to help grow us. So we each need to be a part of a community here at Mission Valley. And today we're going to talk about inviting and challenging because our um a vision statement is being a loving community that invites and challenges people to live like Christ. And so we're going to go over the inviting and challenging, which is very difficult too. But I think if you do these things, you'll notice a difference and you see the growth in your spiritual life. Um, when I was, um, some of you know this already, but I grew up in a family where pretty much I was told by my parents, by the time you're 18, we want you out of the house. You know, very different than today's parenting, right? But, you know, growing up, I realized, okay, when I'm 18, my parents want me out of the house. You know, they want me to be independent and so forth. So I remember in my uh, junior year, I transferred to Cal State Long Beach. And I left the house when I was 20, right? But then all of a sudden, reality sets in. I have to pay for my tuition. I had to pay for my rent, and I was, you know, living in Huntington Harbor um, at the time. I had to pay for my insurance, our bills, and our food. And up to then, guess, you know, my parents paid for those things. And so, like I said, reality set in, and I said, I need to get a job. You know, so I was looking through all of the you know, newspapers, and I got this job with the Sunshine Company, okay? And what I did is I was so desperate, um, I sold pots and pans, china, cutlery, and silverware door-to-door. And if you could see this picture right here, this is what I sold, 
these pots. Now, these were really good pots. Actually, see the smaller one? I actually used it yesterday. And they're 40 years old. Most, it's older than a lot of you here today, right? But I used that pot last night because it was a great quality um, um, piece of uh, what you cookware, right? And so I would, I would have this big suitcase, right? It was big, and I'd have some of these pots and knives and all, and I would go door to door, ringing the doorbell, hoping that somebody would let me in. I'd say, you know, I'm your local sunshine representative, which was so embarrassing, right? But I would tell them, this is what I had, right? And um, we had lines that we were supposed to say, and then at the end, we tried to close the deal. Well, you know, and that was tough because I figured, well, I live in Huntington Harbor. These people are wealthy. This should be easy, no, you know, when I looked at the only people that bought stuff for me were a few people from church and my parents, you know. Unfortunately, they gave me those pots, which I still use today, right? But I went door to door and no one bought. I would go there and, you know, some people would let me in and I would go through my whole, the, the presentation. And at the end, I was supposed to close the deal, right? And get them to buy things, but nobody would. But we had great products, but they were expensive. And nobody wanted to hand over a check to somebody that they hardly even knew, right? But for me, it was terrifying. Each time I rang that doorbell, I was so afraid. And then, of course, what you have to do is you say, do you have five to ten friends that I could call that might be interested? And every time I had to call somebody, I was so afraid, right? And it was terrifying for me, but I did it because I needed the money, right? Because I had to pay the bills. And as I think about it, this was the same feeling I got every time I tried to share the gospel, you know, with somebody, right? Because back then, what we did is we had our lines that we had to go through, and it started off with, if you were to die today, are you assured that you would be in heaven, or would you be in hell? That's what, that, that's what we started off with. And then we went over whether it was the four spiritual laws. And then at the end, it was like, would you like to make a commitment to Jesus Christ? Would you like to accept him as your Lord and Savior? And once again, it was just like this where the majority of the people said no, right? And I, this was even worse than somebody say, I don't want to buy your pots and pans. Because, you know, in my mind, this was eternity, right? And I said, oh, my gosh, Lord, if they say no and they go to hell, it's my fault, you know? And maybe I didn't present the gospel right. I did something wrong. I felt so bad. And see, this is why I was so afraid to tell because I was afraid of people rejecting me, but I also was afraid of the ramifications that came with that. And so I realized that, um, and for some of you, it's the same thing, right? When we go and evangel or sharing the gospel, inviting people into a relationship with Jesus Christ is one of the hardest things that, you know, we could do. Right, And it's just like me ringing that doorbell, right, not knowing what's going to happen. But you know what? Today we're going to talk about um, relational evangelism and how it's very much different than what I was taught growing up. And so it's not about just talking to somebody and having them sign on the dotted line. 
It's more than that. So we're going to take a look at what it means to be inviting and then also challenging. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Matthew twenty-eight nineteen? And I know that you all know this, okay? But still, I'm track with me here. And this is what Jesus says. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And so once again, you all know this is a great commission. But this is part of why this we came up with our vision. Because in our vision, you will see the great commandments of loving God and loving your neighbor, but you'll also see elements of the great commission in that. And that the part of this is we see the inviting part. You know, part of it is the inviting part, is that we are to go and make disciples. And this wasn't just for the pastors, because I know a lot of people say, well, you know what, Dave, that's your job. What I'll do is I'll bring them to church and you hook them, Right? You get him to sign on the dotted line. You know, he said, no, that's all of our responsibility to go and make disciples. Sharing the gospel is a requirement or that what Jesus commands each one who calls himself a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when we look at that great commission, we're pretty good with, well, you know what? I'm good at teaching them, you know, all that Jesus uh, taught us. I could teach him. I'll lead a Bible study. I'll lead a life group. But man, inviting, making disciples, that's the, the hard part. And then even in 1 Peter 3, 5, Peter says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. If somebody asked you, why are you a Christian? Would you know what to say? If somebody asked you, how do I become a believer? Would you know how to lead a person to Christ? Right? But then what Peter's saying here is each one of us has to be prepared to share why we are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Right? And the way we do that is a testimony or your story. And it's basically pretty simple, right? And it has three components. And we learned this for some of you who went through that Rooted series with us. But the first part of your testimony is, what was your life like before you became a disciple of Jesus Christ? Okay? For some of us, we have to go way back. And it's tough to remember what our life was like before we became a disciple of Jesus Christ. Right? But we have to understand what was our life like before we came, became a disciple of Jesus Christ. How did you live? What were your values? What did you think was important before you became a disciple of Jesus Christ? And the second part is, why did you decide to become a, G a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's like, okay, this was my life. These were my values. This is what was important to me. But something happened that made me decide to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What was that? Now, once again, this is unique to each one of you. Each one of you should answer these questions differently, and that's okay. 
You know, a lot of us are afraid because, oh, I don't have a spectacular testimony. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I was, my life was a mess. I was on drugs. I was doing this and I was doing that. And then Jesus came into my life. I mean, that wasn't my testimony, right? My testimony was, for all intents and purposes, quite boring and normal. But that's my testimony, right? And I'm not going to change that. That's how God came and spoke to me. Right, and then finally, this is the most important part: is how has becoming how has becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ affected the way you live your life? And this is important because when I was growing up, you know, in my generation, in my parents' generation, it was all about knowledge. It was all all about, hey, do you know whether you're going to go to heaven or hell? Well, you know, John three sixteen says this: if you believe in God, boom, you're going to heaven, and that's all we needed. And so, oh, okay. You know, I'll take that, right? It was all intellectual, but that's how we interacted. Today, it's very different, right? The young people are saying, just don't tell me what you uh, believe. Show me how what you believe affects the way you live your life. And this is really important here. How has becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ affected the way you live your life? Because if it doesn't affect the way you're living your life. If we see very little change between what we were before we were disciples of Jesus Christ and now, what kind of, do you think people are going to believe us? They're going to say, well, if it really doesn't make a difference in your life and you're trying to sell me on this, how are you going to do this? This is why we need a testimony. This is why we need a testimony. This is why we need to be walking with Jesus Christ. This is why we need to be growing in Jesus Christ so we could tell other people what Jesus is doing in our lives. Because if we can't tell them that, then it's hard to share our testimony, right? But before, like I said, we were all afraid because we thought evangelism was going down, and I lived in East Hollywood, was to go down to Hollywood Boulevard and pass out tracts and just grab somebody and say, try to share the gospel message with them. But I remember at seminary, I had this professor named Gary McIntosh, and he taught us a different way. He He taught us relational evangelism. Well, we all had a mission. We all had an evangelist evangelism product uh, paper that was due at the end of the semester and we you know going into that class we were going oh no we have to recount how many people we saved we had to recount how many times we went either to Skid Row or Hollywood Boulevard and you know shared the gospel and all of that and so all of us when we talked about it we were all dreading that but you know what the project was he goes I want each one of you to a former relationship with an unchurched person. And then just write about it. And we're going, what? He goes, Cause, and he was taking a look at it. He goes, you, you guys who are future pastors, you're the worst. He goes, all you hang out with were believers. You know, how are you supposed to save somebody if all you hang out with is, if the only people you hang out with are saved, right? And so he, so he said, Go to, go to a sporting event with them. You know, go fishing with them. Do, do whatever. And, and we're going, wow, this is kind of different, 
right? And so that's what we did. And then we had to kind of make a diary and let, you know, we had to turn it in at the end of the semester. But then that changed our whole focus of what evangelism was about and that there was a different way to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ than what we were previously taught. And um, there's this book that I you know, ask you life groups to go through, and it was called Bless. And this is um, all about relational evangelism, and this is probably the best book I've read on ev- um, relational evangelism. So thank you, Chet, for um, uh, bringing this book to my attention. But it, it was interesting. This whole book was started on this um, research that this one person did, noticed, that he said, this one, I don't know who did it, but he said two teams of missionaries were sent to Thailand. While both, he said, while both teams went with similar goals, they carried two dis- different strategies. He said one was the converters. He said the converters group went with the sole intention of converting people and evangelizing. Their goal was to save souls. So this was one group. Their sole purpose was to go to evangelize and save souls. He said then there was a second group called the Blessers. And the Blessers group explained their intentions like this. We are here to bless whoever God sends our way. Do you see the difference in uh, strategy here? Well, one of the... After um, several years, um, the results came in. And the blessers in the community resulted in a tremendous amount of social good. And this group um, contributed to the betterment of society, community life, the creation of social capital, right? And so they changed the lives of the people there by just going and blessing them, right? He said the converters, however, however seemed to make no difference. The ones who blessed, who just went there to bless people, made a huge difference in the lives of the community. Those who went to convert others and to evangelize, it says they made pretty much no difference, right? But what was um, the second discovery that they found, which is very uh, surprising to this person, was that the blessers saw 48 conversions. So those who went out and blessed saw 48 people come to know Jesus Christ. The converters only saw one. Okay? He said the blessing group almost saw 50 times as many conversions through being a blessing than the group that went out to be the converters, to evangelize, right? And so they, came, they looked at this and they said, okay, how could we come up with a method to bless people as a way to lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ? And they used the word bless as an acronym. So the B starts with begin with prayer. Consistently pray for the people that God is calling you to bless, right? So in your mind, you have somebody that you want to bless, Somebody that you know who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Well, start praying for them every single day. Begin with prayer, right? Next, next thing, and this is probably the most important, is listen. 
Listen for the needs and desires of the people you want to bless. And this is so important, especially when we're dealing with somebody who, let's say, believes in something else. Because what happens a lot of times is we try to go and we try to share the gospel and we get in an argument convincing them that they're wrong and we're right. That really doesn't work. I remember talking to this one individual, right? And this individual was Buddhist. And this person said, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm afraid. And I, I just asked this person, well, what are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of getting old and I'm afraid of dying. And I asked, well, you know, you're Buddhist, right? What does Buddhism say to help you, you know, in your situation? You know, and this person was looking at me and she, and she was saying, I don't really know. But you know what all I did was I listened. I didn't try to tell her, well, this is why Buddhism was wrong and Christianity is right. I just listened. And so over time we talked, and then I was able to say, well, this is what I believe. This is what the Bible says about what happens when you, you die. Because I said, when you die, what, what do you think happens? And this person says, well, I hope I go to a good place, but I'm not sure, Right? And so I remember reading up on this person's form of Buddhism. And it, it was hard for me to understand because I just read all the material on it and I still didn't understand it. But this form of Buddhism didn't believe in an afterlife, right? It was like, okay, you live, you die, and I guess whoever you are is passed on to the next generation. And it's kind of the circle of life thing, right? Or even nirvana, I, I still don't know how to explain that or what that is, right? There's no independent soul or anything. You know, the best I could think, and, you know, I'm sorry if I get this wrong, but it's kind of like Star Wars in the Force, right? You become part of this universal collective of all living things. I don't know. But whatever it did, it didn't bring comfort to this one person. And so I just said, well, this is what the Bible says. And I said, would you like to believe in Jesus? And she said, yes. Right? But I did it by what? Listening. Listening. That's why that's so important. Then the, the E is eat. Spend time sharing a meal with the people you want to bless. Now, we talked about this in community, right? Just go out and spend time with them, it, you know, and then finally serve. Respond to the needs of others and help them in practical ways. You know, just go out and, and serve them, right? If they have needs, take care of them, right? And don't see them as a project because nobody wants to be seen as a project. Just go do these things because this is what Jesus commands us to do, right? And finally, story. You know, when it's an appropriate time, be ready to sh share your story, you know? And that's what we talked about um, uh, earlier, to share your story. Because a lot of times when you were thinking of inviting people, we're thinking about inviting them where? Where to church. Let's invite them to church. But you know what? You know, while that is good, church is a foreign place for most people, right? You know, I've been to many Buddhist uh, funerals, and for me, that's a foreign place. You know, there are foreign smells, there are foreign rituals, you're chanting in a language that I don't know. You know, and so it's a very foreign place to me. You know, a lot of times I go, they go, what am I supposed to do? But did you know it's the same thing for people when they come here? You know, it's a very, this place, while it's very familiar to you, it's very foreign to people who don't believe. They come here and they go, what are these songs? 
you know, with the blood of Jesus. Oh, man, that, that, what's that, you know? Or they say, you know, people are worshiping. What, do I have to hold up my hands? You know, what's this? It's a, it's a foreign language. We have, we have different rituals. Right? It's very foreign to them. And this is why I'd like to bless, because basically bless is establishing a relationship outside the church. And then when they're ready, then you say, hey, why don't you come here, and I'll come with you. And this is one thing I know that my wife, you know, I really am thankful to God for her, because she's really good at this. Wherever she goes, whatever she's involved with outside the church, she's involved in a lot of different groups, comes in contact with a lot of unchurched people, and she's constantly inviting people. But, you know, she's gotten into, you know, pickleball, but, you know, she plays a lot. But after every day, they go and have lunch together, right? And so they're eating meals together. They're forming relationships. And I told her, I said, you know, Grace, well, I say honey, but for you it's great. I said, you're more valuable to Mission Valley outside our walls than you are within the walls, right? Because you're out there blessing people. And this is a wonderful strategy because we are inviting people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and not a building and not ministry. You are the ones that we're showcasing. You are the ones through the partnership of the Holy Spirit are going to lead people to Christ. But in the end, you do not save anybody. I don't save anybody. Who saves? It's the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that it's the Holy Spirit that leads all people to the truth. The Holy Spirit is the one that's convicting others. Our job is to live a life worthy of what the Bible says. Our life is to live a life that people can say, oh, okay, yeah, I could see what you're saying. I could see that this is your faith, and I could see that you live by your faith. That's our job. And then when we share the gospel message, the Holy Spirit comes and he works in the heart of the unbelievers. That's the Holy Spirit's uh, job. And so he doesn't reject you. The person rejects the Holy Spirit. Now, granted, we can have a role in that outcome. I mean, we could scare people away if we're too harsh, right? And I've seen people do that. But we have to remember, saving is the Holy Spirit's job. And then challenging, right? It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And and you could just see this, right? Iron sharpening iron. And the picture of this is sharpening a knife, using another piece of metal to sharpen a knife. Because the most dangerous knife is a dull knife. And for those of you who cook, you know that. If you're cooking and your knife is dull, it's very, very dangerous. Why? Because even if you're trying to cut a tomato, you have to (laughs) put more pressure to try to cut a tomato. But if it's sharp, it's just like, it cuts like butter. If it's dull, it's trying to like cut a tomato with a butter knife. But the problem is it slips. It's still sharp enough to cut you and to hurt you, right? And so this is why a sharp knife is much safer and effective to do the job. And the goal of challenging one another is to help us grow as effective disciples of Jesus Christ. This is why the goal of challenging one another is to help us grow as effective disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, correction and motivation are different sides of the same coin of challenging, Okay, and we have to see both. 
right? Corrections and correction in Galatians six one, the Apostle Paul writes, "Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted." It says, "What? Restore gently. Restore gently, not." beat them over the head with a hammer, not with this harsh, judgmental attitude. He said, restore that person gently. Said what? Lest you might be tempted. Lest you might. To do what? To commit that same sin or to become judgmental. Because, you know, one of my pastors that I studied under said, you know what, Dave? When people are overly critical or overly judgmental of people in a certain area, it's most likely they struggle with the same thing. You understand that? People who are very critical or judgmental of others in a certain area, he said, those people probably struggle with the same thing because it's like holding up a mirror and reflecting my faults back to me. And I found that true in my own life. The things that I'm most critical of others I struggle with in my own life. So we got to watch that. we got to watch that. Um, and so um, that's why he says restore gently. But then how, what are the steps of lovingly uh, correcting one another? You know, in Matthew 18, 15, Jesus says, If a brother or sister sins, go and point out their faults just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So once again, if somebody... You have to confront somebody. If you have to challenge or correct somebody, what? Do it in person to that person's face. Now, granted, if this, you know, this male, female, you know, do it in public where there are people there, right? Or let's say this, if whatever happened is really heinous or it puts you in danger, of course you want to bring other people. But for normal stuff, go to them to their face. Don't start telling other people what this person did. He says, go to that person. And they said, if they listen to you, you have won them over. If they listen to you, if you, if you challenge them, and if you correct them and they listen, then it's over. You get that? It's over. <laughs> you don't go around, hey, did you remember what I said? Remember what we talked about? You're going to do it again? Don't do it again. We talked about it, right? No. If you... Um, challenge and correct somebody and they said you know what I'm right you know I'm so sorry then drop it it's over don't keep bringing it up in their face however if they do not listen take one or two others along so that the matter may be established by a testimony of two or three witnesses then you take one if the person doesn't listen then you bring some other people along with you but you're supposed to do it gently you're supposed to do it gently Right? If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. But you see, when it says tell it to the church, that's step number three. That's not step number one. Right? Because most of you say, you know, hey, Pastor Dave, so and so did this to me. Can you talk to them? I said, I'm number three. I'm going to ask you, did you do number one through two first? I said, did you go to them by yourself? If the answer is no, you need to go talk to them. 
right? And, and so please do not come to me. I'm not the first step. I'm number three. I'm number three, right? But this is the way we do it. This is how the Bible says we are to correct. And then finally, motivation. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. You know, our goal is to motivate one another. Yes, challenging has correction, but there's another side of the coin too, is to motivate one another. What? To love and good works. So how do we do that? Well, look for the potential in people. Look for potential in people. Because everybody has potential. You know, especially in the church, everyone has spiritual gifts. We need to look for that potential. And this is the big thing. Be willing to step out of the spotlight so others can shine. And this is hard, right? Because so many times we want to be the one shining. And if we look at the potential in others and start bringing out the best in them, it's like, uh uh-oh, people are talking about them more than they're talking about us or me, right? And that, that could bruise our egos. But one of the things we have to have is a kingdom mentality, not an individual one, right? Our team wins when people start to reflect the glory of God, even if what? They must be greater and I might, must become what? Less, lesser, right? We have to put aside our pride and our ego in order for that to happen, our goal should be, you know what, man, if, this, if you're like a life group leader, if you're a mentor, you want your people to become better than you, right? Isn't that the goal? Practice this, the steps. If you, and the goal is to help them. Just don't look at the potential. If you have the ability to help them, this is a way you could help them. The first thing is, Okay, I see you have the potential in this, and this is how I could help you, because I do this too. Well, I'm going to do it, and you watch. I'm going to lead a Bible study, and I want you to watch. I'm going to counsel an individual, and if they allow uh, you to be in there, why don't you watch how I do it, right? I'm going to do this. You watch how I do it. And then the next step is, okay, we're going to do it together. We're going to do it together. We're going to teach this group together. We're going to lead this group together. And then finally, it's, okay, now you're going to do it, and I'm going to watch. You're going to lead the group. You're going to do this, and I'm going to provide you feedback. Right? And this is how we motivate people and help them shine if we do these things, right? It's, an imp- it's important that we encourage one another. It's important that we um, challenge one another because that's how, when we challenge each other to grow, then as a community, we get more, we become more effective in serving the kingdom of God, right? Because as you get more and more effective in serving the Lord, then what? We as a community become more effective, And that's why it's so important for us to challenge individuals. And it's hard. Correcting individuals isn't easy, right? Correcting individuals isn't easy. But we're called to do that. We're called to do that. Because as God, you know, as God's love for us, you know, has our best interest in heart, 
So when the people in our community, we should have their best interest. And when we see an area that needs to be corrected, we need to correct it gently and in love. And if we see a person that has potential where they could really shine for Jesus, well, then we need to challenge them and motivate them to allow them to shine for Jesus. So what? They could reflect the glory and what? Reflect it back to God. And this is what we mean by inviting and challenging. So what's our weekly challenge? Is to There's a lot of verses here. Read Matthew 28, 18 through 20, 1 Peter 3 through 5, verse 15, Proverbs 27, 17, Galatians 6, 1, Matthew 18, 15 through 7, and Hebrews 10 through 24. Okay, these are the verses that I'd like you to be reading this week, right? And then start following at least one step of the blessed um, process with an unchurched individual. And it might be just praying for them. Choose, you know, individual individuals that you want to um, bless. And every single day commit to pray for them. To pray for them. Or if you've already done that and there's somebody you know, just pick a person and do one of those steps. Or get that book. It's by, I think, Don Ferguson. You could get it at Amazon. Great book. Or come see me. I've got books here um, also. Or finally, identify someone you can motivate and help him or her grow in their faith. Identify somebody. Look for the potential in somebody here around you. And then um, choose to help challenge them, to motivate them to grow in their faith. You know, worship team, please come forward and let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I know that there are people in your lives, our lives, that we would love to see and invite to have a relationship with you. And for whatever reason, Father, it's been so frightening or such a scary thought that we haven't done this. Father, I pray that you would allow us to just be a blessing to people, to love people just for the sake of loving them, to listen, to pray for them, to listen for them, listen to them, to spend time with them, to serve them, Father, just for the sake of blessing them. And Father, as we pray for these people in our lives, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead them to your truth. That he would open their eyes, and we know that our enemy blinds them. But Father, would you open their eyes? Would you stop our enemies? desire and tactic to close their eyes to the truth. Father, may you open their eyes so they're wide open so they could see God, your great love for them. That you could, they, they could see that your love for them led to you sending your son into this world so they could have a relationship with you both on this earth and for all eternity. Father, I pray that each one of us would take this seriously. That really, this is the way that we change the world, one person at a time.
Father, I know that there are them, some here who are, have been hurt by others. Father, I pray that you give them the strength and the courage to handle this in the manner that our Lord established. That we are to go to them in person and not share with others what, uh, what they did to us. But the goal is to correct, to challenge, Father. And if there's anybody here who has somebody that has recently hurt you, just take a few moments to ask God to give you the strength and the courage to follow our Lord's outline in dealing with this wrong that this person did against you. Father, I thank you so much that you want us to reconcile with others, whether that means correcting or inspiring others. And that you've given us, Father, the tools to do so. You give us the power, and Lord, that you'll give us the words to do so. So, Father, may we move out in faith, knowing that whether we invite or challenge, we are doing it under the power of your Holy Spirit. And that, Father, that you would give us the words that we need to convey that. And, Lord, I know inviting and challenging isn't easy, So, Lord, would you give each one of us here the courage to do that? But, Father, may we also glorify you when we do as we seek to obey you and as we seek to live like your son, Jesus Christ. In your son's name I pray, amen.